welcome everyone to a in-depth um, creative conversation that I've got a great privilege um, today to speak with Carmen Hudson. Carmen is one of United Way's very own. She is our Director of Stability and Community Programming. And what that really means is that Carmen is um, overseeing and serving and strategizing our work at United Way um, that centers on family stability. And we have a deep belief at the United Way that everyone, everyone in our community, no matter what zip code they're born into or what challenge or disability that they face, that everyone should be able to achieve their full human potential through pathways of education, health and well-being, and family stability. And we know that when it comes to those three impact pillars, that, that families and stability are at the core of that, right? Right. So I'm so happy that you're here to share your wisdom with us and help us just go off the record and deep dive into some of the problems facing our community and, frankly, some of the amazing solutions that are coming um, to the forefront, especially in this COVID season. Well, thank you for having me. I'm so glad to be here today. Glad that you yeah. are, Carmen. <laughs> so I'm going to ask you a hard question right out of the gate. Okay. I remember reading once that Mark Twain said the two most important days in a person's life are the day that they're born and the day they find out why. And you have been in this world of serving others for a really long time, Carmen. I, I, I recognize in you that it's not a job, that it's more of a calling. So tell us a little bit about how you got here and what is it about this work in family stability and economic financial stability that really just sparks something deep inside of you? Well, to be honest with you, it's actually um, just part of me. Um, my parents moved to the United States almost 60 years ago from Mexico. They were immigrants. And so um, I saw the struggle. I really did see the struggle, um, living in poverty and then being able to establish their own um, businesses. Um, <clears throat> sort of, it, it just, it started this fire inside of me that I could help other people. Mm -hmm. And I had special opportunities in my life where I was able to go to school um, and get my bachelor's and my master's. And I, and I, I took this pathway um, to here um, through education. Yeah. And people in my life who supported me, encouraged me, gave me opportunities. And so then I always had this calling to be able to help people. I wanted to do something to make a difference. Yeah. And so, um, and I feel that I could make it through this type of work, like providing social services to other people and, and really giving them hope because somebody gave it to me a long time ago and I want to be able to give it uh, back into the community. Yeah. And so I always pursue this type of work because I know that um, the, the, the help is out there for individuals who need it. Yeah. Um, they just, we just have to connect them. And I guess that's part of what United Way does. Yeah, you got it, you got it. Our, our mantra that connected yes. community changes everything. Correct. Um, you're exactly right. I'm, I'm hearing a common theme through these conversations about hope <laughs> um, because it's really hard to help move your family or yourself individually forward um, towards financial stability if we don't have hope. So tell us a story of hope, Carmen. Um, when, when has there been a time in your work 
at United Way or before that you just had the opportunity to see someone grasp what was possible and then have the pathways to get there? I think as you were talking, the first thing that popped in, in my mind was when I used to uh, be the director of the domestic violence shelter here in Chattanooga. I would see women coming in and out of the shelter, and when they came in, they were hopeless, feeling hopeless, um, not knowing what they were going to do, where they were going to go, um, and many of them brought their children with them to into the shelter. And as the director, I would come in and out of the shelter, but I was doing more administrative work. But I, I made it a point to get to know everybody in the shelter. So I would um, say hi to them as I came in or I, as I left every day. Um, but I remember this one person in particular. She came in and, uh, um, from a bad situation, mm -hmm. and she was badly beaten. And, um, and so one day, so weeks had gone by, and one day I was coming down um, the staircase, and I, I looked and I saw this person at the front desk, and I, I was like, who is that? Mm -hmm. And then I, started, I heard her talk. She, she was speaking to the front desk. And I called her by name, and she looked up at me, and I'm just like, wow, you look beautiful. Yeah. And, um, and for that moment, I think she put all the pieces together, and you could just see it in her, her face and the way she carried herself. And, um, and that's when I, I would see it with women in domestic violence. I always wanted to know what was it that made them leave mm. and what made them actually because it's a choice. It really is a choice, you know, to leave and also uh, to move forward because it's very difficult to move forward. But when they made that connection and they decided to make that change, their whole face changed. Yeah. Um, and so I saw that in this individual and it was that hope. Mm -hmm. It just you could see it all over her. Yeah. She knew this was a second chance and she was going to do it right. Um, so she was it, it was great to see her. You know, that's I think I think that's really powerful because hope, which is ultimately you know at the core of so much that we're working for in our community, usually people have it when they have the perseverance mm -hmm. to make a choice, right? That's hard, and but but that's not it. They also have the relationships, um, and and the the people to help them get there. Right. You know, I'm such a believer in my own life and in. I know your life and in all of those that we serve through United Way, that no one is self-taught or self-made, that we are the sum of the relationships, good or bad, mm -hmm. right, yeah. of the people in our lives. And so every day you get the chance to help be a part of something bigger, helping connect people to other people to make a difference. So let's talk about the Neediest Cases Fund for just a minute. So that okay. is one part of the work you do at United Way. Um, tell us what the Neediest Cases Fund is, what the purpose is. And then we'll dig a little deeper. Well, the idea behind the neediest cases is to um, assist individuals who um, are working or are on a fixed income mm -hmm. and may have an ex experience um, an emergency situation or unforeseen circumstance that has put them in a place where they are starting to get behind on their bills, something's gone wrong, mm -hmm. and they just need a little bit of assistance to get them back on track yeah. and moving forward. Mm -hmm. And so um, this, this fund has been in existence for many years. It yes. was established in 1913. So um, wow. it's been a great opportunity to assist those individuals um, 
we call um, there's a new word for the working poor, and that is Alice, right? Which is um, asset limited, income constrained, employed, right? And so those are the ones that we're actually helping the most through uh, this fund, mm-hmm. and that is to be able to give them just that additional money that they need just to get back on track and start moving forward so they don't get behind on their bills. And so they don't lose their jobs because they can't make it. Um, So that's a great opportunity uh, to be able to give to people. Yeah. You know, um, you and I were just talking right before the show about the history of the Neediest Cases Fund and Mm -hmm. that it's pretty remarkable. On, On Christmas Day, over 100 years ago, Adolf Ox who was the, I guess, the, the founder or the creator of the New York Times, and then eventually the Chattanooga Times Free Press, mm-hmm. was walking down the street in New York, and he saw a man on the sidewalk who had been fed, mm-hmm. but had nowhere to sleep that night. And what was really, I think, powerful was that Mr. Ox didn't just meet an immediate need. He told him, if you ever need a job, come find me. And in that moment, he said, you know, we can do something with the power of this newspaper to tell stories of not of needy people, of needy situations, right? Okay. Scenarios that, honestly, every single one of us will find ourselves in at one point in our life of needing the help of somebody else. Right. And so today, we still have the opportunity in our community to ask people to raise dollars, to give dollars, so that we can help hard, tough situations and scenarios. So you mentioned Alice. Yes. The new kind of term that we're using um, for as we talk about those who are employed but still struggling. Yes. So when we think about tough, needy situations, so often an image comes into our mind of maybe that that homeless man on the street that Mr. Ox, um, you know, encountered that Christmas day. But you see and we see a whole new face of financial challenge in our community um, Alice. Yes. So talk a little more deeply about who is Alice and what does it mean to be working and one paycheck away from, from disaster? And, and what is the makeup of Alice in our own community? Well, Alice are individuals who are hardworking, mm-hmm. taxpaying individuals. Right. Sometimes they're working one or two jobs. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but still can't get ahead. Yeah. And so they struggle every every day just to meet basic needs mm-hmm. like providing f- food for their families, uh, affordable housing, mm-hmm. uh, transportation, yeah. uh, just to get to work. And so it's a constant struggle. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, it's normally individuals with um, um, minimal education. Mm-hmm. What we're seeing is a lot of these individuals have a high school um, di- a diploma or a GED, mm-hmm. maybe a little bit of, of, of college um, education, sure. but um, they're still working the lower paying jobs. They're actually working those jobs that really create the foundation or infrastructure for our our nation. Right. They're the cashiers at the grocery store. They're mm-hmm. they're working at the fast food um, the early child care right. educators. Right. Or nursing, nursing. assistants. Yes. Um, and just helping individuals but really not making enough money to get ahead, not even enough money to save money for the future. And so it's a constant struggle. Mm-hmm. You know, what what makes it so hard you think for Alice households to get ahead? 
We know income is an issue, and, mm-hmm. you, and you just mentioned that. But what are some of the other barriers that that forty three percent of our neighbors face? And actually, that number is before COVID, right? That right. Forty three percent of households in Hamilton County right. either live below the federal poverty line or are working. But in that bubble mm-hmm. where, as you said, they're making choices like, do I put food on the table or keep the lights on? Mm-hmm. Um, what are some of the other just headwinds or the obstacles that Alice families face? Well, for a lot of them, you, let's just look at the financial aspect sure. of Alice. And that's um, housing. Housing. Um, it's expensive. Right. <laughs> it's expensive. It's hard to find affordable housing here in Chattanooga. And... Um, the typical budget of somebody who is actually stable, mm-hmm. about 30% of their their budget is towards housing. That's a healthy amount towards housing. When, when an individual isn't making enough uh, funds for their family, mm-hmm. it could be 50, 60, 70% of their budget. Wow. And so, and that creates a huge deficit for them because now they can't pay for food, they can't pay for utilities, right. or even clothing for their children. Mm-hmm. And so they're always having to make those decisions. Am I going to um, um, buy food or am I going to buy clothing or a school uniform for my kids? Mm-hmm. And so they're always looking for additional resources in the community in order to pay for that, mm-hmm. which, you know, we have the 201 information and referral, right. which is very useful. And what we're seeing is a lot of, of the, the Alice individuals are calling to 11 mm-hmm. and asking for referrals for utility assistance, rent, clothing. Um, a myriad of, of different things. Absolutely. And our community has been amazing to step up um, mm-hmm. for each other. You know, back to the idea of no one being totally, totally self-taught or self-made, right? right. It does require that. Um, you said something interesting. Uh, you're right. The, the cost of housing is extremely high. The cost of childcare is extremely high. Right. And that's something we work at um, here at United Way is to expand quality, affordable early learning for families. Um, but let's talk for a minute about the impact of those constant stressors on children and families, right? Right. If we're living in um, a stress-filled household where the bills are not being paid and we're in a constant cycle, what is, what is the impact of that on kids and on education and on their learning? Well, I, th- I think what ends up happening is when the kids see their parents stressed, mm-hmm they become stressed. Right. And if it happens long enough, it becomes toxic. Right. And it's a, and so the kids are worried for their own future. Mm-hmm. And, you know, trying to go to school and seeing their, their parents stress makes it hard to study at home. It does. Um, and, yeah. and, you know, if the family doesn't have enough money to buy food, mm-hmm. um, then children are having to study with an empty, uh, yeah. an empty stomach. Mm-hmm. And so it really surprises me how many kids are going hung, uh, without food. Right. Um, just yeah. recently, um, I was involved with something with Howard High School, mm-hmm. and they did a needs assessment. And I was really amazed at what I saw was that some of the, the students were saying, there are days that we worry about food, not having enough food, and there's days that they go without food. And, and I think about that and how we take things for granted yeah. and how can we get those resources out to people. Mm-hmm. And those are the eldest people that we're mm-hmm. seeing. They're, they're working, their parents are working, but right. just not enough to provide. Exactly, exactly. And the Alice families are interesting because um, we fall in that bubble where they don't always receive federal benefits 
Mm -hmm. you know, food stamps or other things like that um, because they're working um, or making an income above that line. Um, But that doesn't mean that the needs are not there, right? So they're ineligible for a lot of programs that people um, would would imagine exist for a lot of our neighbors. So that requires the community to step up and step in. Right. Mm -hmm. And so, so for example, you mentioned child care. So sometimes they can't afford child care. Right. They make um, um, too much money to get subsidies for child Mm -hmm. care, but at the same time they can't afford their own child care. So there is something called the cliff of the cliff effect. Yes. And so what we see, we encourage people to get jobs because that's what they're supposed to do. Mm-hmm. And so um, when they get a job, they might not make enough uh, money to really provide for the whole family. So they still kind of keep some of those um, benefits. Mm-hmm. Um, for example, childcare. It's a right. childcare subsidy. But then what ends up happening is. For example, let me just give you an example. Mary. Mary's working hard. She's doing great. Her boss really loves the work that she's doing. She's providing for her family. She's still using the child care subsidy because she's below the threshold and she's still um, receiving assistance. So her boss says, Mary, you're doing a great job. Let me give you a dollar raise. Um, a dollar an hour raise. Mm-hmm. And for most, most people, that's exciting because your your boss is acknowledging the hard work that you're doing. But then she has to sort of weigh things out. So if, if the child care subsidy is providing her $100 a week right. to pay for child care, and this $1 raise will give her an increase of $40 a week, mm-hmm. but she loses her child care because now she's making too much money. Right she's actually going into a deficit of $60 a week. Mm -hmm. And so sometimes they have to make a decision, do I take the raise or do I decline the raise? In this situation, she would be better off declining the raise. Mm -hmm. In order for her to actually feel an impact, he would have to give her about a $3 raise. And and she would feel a 50 cents impact. Yeah. You know, isn't that amazing? I, I would imagine the people listening in right now um, have to be thinking, oh my goodness, like how do we, how is it that we are working within a, a, a system that almost penalizes advancement? Right. Right? So, so Carmen, what practically, what are the answers to some of these big, hairy questions? You know, the, the cliff effect is very real. We see it all the time. Um, but there are, are pathways and ways that we can get ahead of it, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a lot of people studying the cliff effect right now, and um, ideas are coming up. One of the most important things is to acknowledge that it does exist. Right. Um, and then be able to assess it in our community. Mm-hmm. What does it look like here in Hamilton County? Right. And and then being able to think of some ideas of how we can sort of bridge that gap mm-hmm. between uh, the benefits and the, and the job, the employment. Right. Um, and then being able to reevaluate that. So let me just mm-hmm. give you some examples of things that I'm seeing in our community right yes. now. So, um, for example, the Chamber of Commerce and Chat State uh, got yeah. together uh-huh. and they created a program called Skill Up. They, they were able to receive some funding yes. for that. So they're actually paying individuals with low skills mm-hmm. um, to be able to train them in order to... Um, I think it's a three to four week training. At the end of that training, they're guaranteed a job mm. in manufacturing. Awesome. 
Um, but they're paying them during this time. Right. So it's very helpful because a lot of times we say, well, they need to go back to school. Well, they can't go back to school yeah. and not provide for their families. Exactly. So this is giving possible choices. Yeah. So this this is giving them an opportunity to actually um, get paid mm -hmm. while they're training, and then at the end of the training, they get a job. And so mm -hmm. that is a great opportunity to assist Alice individuals to gain skill to get a better paying job. Mm -hmm. You know, that that's a really key point because so much of this is about starting early and helping kids see the career pathways they have mm -hmm. ahead of them that can take people to that, um, not even break even point, but towards empowerment and financial freedom. Right. Because what you just described was an impossible choice, right? I can't go back to school because then I will not be able to feed my children. Right. What we want for people um, ultimately is to have freedom, to be able to make choices, right, that mm -hmm. are good for their children, good for their family, and good for our ec economy as a whole. Right, yeah. right. Wow, well, that's, and, it's complex. Right, and it's, it takes everybody to start looking at this mm -hmm. problem. It's not only a, a social problem or, right. or that individual, it's, it's everybody working together to provide the support that they need, mm -hmm. uh, to walk alongside them mm -hmm. as they're um, getting the training that they need in order to get, better, get a better paying job. Exactly, exactly. It's as if you're living with kind of one foot in helping to respond to crises or those bumps in the road, right, that inevitably come. So the mm -hmm. Neediest Cases Fund is there or the Restore Hope Fund during COVID right. to help, help families that have never needed help before. Mm -hmm. know that they can get support for that mortgage payment or that right. utility bill. But that's not enough, right? We can't stay there. We have to help um, empower right. our children through education and opportunity and also our families and our adults um, to be truly financially stable and then financially empowered and free. It takes right. both, right? Right, mm -hmm. right. The neediest cases is just a way to help them through a, a difficult situation. Right. But we really need to give them more opportunities for long-term stability. Right. And that's where we get training, education, employers working sure. uh, with individuals, providing them childcare opportunities at work so that they can have their children there or giving them the time off when their children are sick. Mm -hmm. Because ultimately uh, it's the best for the company right. and the employer and productivity, yeah. right, when your employees' families are, are safe and stable. Correct. Yeah. Correct. So, Carmen, when you think about our community and just your unique view of what you see, what do you think are some of the biggest gaps and challenges facing our neighbors? You've already mentioned housing to a degree. What, what, else, what else keeps you up at night? <laughs> well, we mentioned childcare, and we <laughs> yeah. saw how childcare and education of when COVID hit mm -hmm. in March and the schools closed down and the yes. child care centers closed down, how that was so important for our economy. Yeah. People couldn't go to work because they had to take care of their children. That's right. And, and those are the Ellis individuals providing that service. Yeah. And, um, and so definitely childcare keeps me up. Education. You know, I, I think about um, students in high school mm -hmm. and um, that they, they actually get to a point where it's a crossroad where they have to choose. Are they moving forward and going through to secondary education or if they get, they're just going to graduate and then leave? Right. Um, and I worry about that. I actually do uh, worry about that because I, I think about how can we get students to think um, 
more in the future mm-hmm. and, and be able to see how education can really help somebody. And maybe yeah. I think about that because it helped me right. and I want that for other people. Yeah. But uh, transportation is another uh, thing that I worry about because um, we don't have enough public transportation and it's, it's really, yeah, when people mm-hmm. call and want assistance mm-hmm. through the fund, um, many times they call because their cars broke down, they needed right. their cars fixed, or um, even they've asked for bus passes. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we try to we try to accommodate the best that we can, but people have to make decisions of, where am I gonna li- live? Is it close to the bus line so right. I could get the bus to go to work? And mm-hmm. is my, my work, my employment near the bus line? Right. Um, and how far is it from, will I be able to pick up my kids and do this and that? And so those are the kind of decisions they have to make every day. You know, one of the, I think, most powerful things that someone can do in our community, if they want to understand some of these intricacies more, is to take the bus to work mm-hmm. tomorrow instead of driving yourself, right? And just begin to understand all of those steps that you just mentioned, being near the bus line, does the bus even travel through the neighborhoods where they live to be able to get to their job, their children, timing, all of those things. You know, just uh, I think as a staff, we did that a couple of years ago, um, just just to get closer to the reality of the majority of our of our neighbors in Chattanooga. Right, mm-hmm. right. You know, you mentioned um, the idea of getting close to a problem. I think is 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 really interesting, and and you spend a lot of time getting close to issues, and it requires a lot of empathy and a lot of humility. And the team members that you lead, I know you're constantly instilling that in them. So shift gears for a minute and talk with me as a leader of people. Um, how do you help encourage um, your 211 staff that are on the front lines receiving thousands of calls a month um, for people in crisis? And, and, and how do you help them stay um, empathetic and open to people who've never needed help before? And it might be hard for them to pick up the phone and call. Right. You know, I, th- I think it starts by listening to, um, to them and what they're going through. Um, they, they do really well about communicating on email. Uh-huh. So, and they always include me so I could see when there's issues going on. And so we kind of discuss. Right. Um, one of the things I try to do is encourage them. Because a lot of times they, they receive calls and, and people aren't very nice, especially, you know, in, in times of need, people can get very desperate and they do desperate things. Mm-hmm. And so I have to remind them that it's not about them. The, the individual is just stressed out and um, and not to take it personally. Yeah. Um, but but also to try to understand the individual's point of view. Mm-hmm. You know, when COVID hit, we knew that we were going to get a lot of individuals who had not received social services before because they lost their jobs and now they were going to need assistance. Mm -hmm. And so one of the discussions that we had was to be gentle uh, with people because it was, it was, uh, it's going to be a humbling experience for them to have to call Mm -hmm. and ask for help. And they don't know how the system works. So we have to be able to explain those things to individuals and also encourage them that it's okay to ask Mm -hmm. for help. And I I know that we were talking earlier about the fact that I've had several people call me and say, you know, I gave to United Way so many for so many years and I never thought I would be asking for help. 
But, you know, that's what it's here for. That's right. Um, that's why we're here, you know, to help people and to connect people to the resources that they need. Mm-hmm. And so really um, providing the tools for the staff that they need to get their work done, mm-hmm. I think, is probably my number one thing that I do. If they need something, it's fi- let's go mm-hmm. fix it. Let, you know, if the phone's not working, let's, let's <laughs> talk to EPB. Yeah. You know. So but also just being there to listen when they get frustrated mm-hmm. um, and and encourage. Yeah, because ultimately, I mean, what. 211 and United Way as a whole is, is really working to do is to help people make connections and make sense of a system that seems really overwhelming. I mean, we have a lot of nonprofits in mm-hmm. Chattanooga. We have 1,600 nonprofits, 1,400 um, houses of worship. That's a lot yes. of people who care about others. They want to do good. They have passion. And people are giving extraordinarily to this broad range of resources. Um, but that can be hard to navigate. Mm-hmm. So sometimes I think what you're doing, Carmen, is is helping to make um, sense and pathways out of putting these resources together so that it can have the biggest, most amplified impact, right? right. And, um, and that is something that most people don't know about United Way. We're not just a place to give help or get help, but we're also helping to transform the entire fabric of our community um, in terms of the, the social and nonprofit work that we do. Um, I know you've done some of that with your Building Stable Lives work, trying mm-hmm. to help make sense out of a disjointed system. Yes. Um, talk a little bit about that. Like, what, what is ultimately your vision for stability in the city and working with partners all around the community to make it happen? You know, when I look at the, the, the issues in our community mm-hmm. that face our community, you know, there's different steps, um, and 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 looking at building stabilized, which is a is a program that United Way funds, but is actually um, supervised and run by Helen Ross McNabb in partnership. And so we work together to try to address those needs and being able to identify what are the issues. Let's try to make it so that individuals will be served in the best way possible. And, and including them, their voice in the, th- that decision making. And so one of the things that we've changed about our pro- the program is that we are now providing crisis services. Mm-hmm. So once somebody calls 211 uh, and they identify them as somebody that might benefit from building stable lives, mm-hmm. they go into a crisis phase. And the crisis phase is to provide stability. Yeah. Because what we know is that people cannot think about their future until they're stable. That's right. And so we... It's not even physically possible. Right, right. To and, do that. And sometimes it's its the neediest case fund. Right. Or sometimes it's restore hope or they, they need a bill paid or, you know, mm-hmm. something of that sort to get them stable enough to be able to move to the next phase, which is actually seeing, uh, talking to a life coach. And the life coach actually helps them set goals. Mm-hmm that they want to complete. Maybe it's a better paying job or going from part-time to Mm full-time or going back to school. But we've also incorporated what we call a two-generational approach. Now, that's a really big deal. Yes. Yes. Talk about that. So the idea is is to try to um, address the generational, uh, uh, generational, uh, the cycle of, of poverty and abuse. And so by working with the parent and the children, we're actually kind of hitting it at two different uh, generations. And so 
we're meeting the need of the, the parent by creating goals, but we're also teaching the parents how to um, communicate, how to play with their children, how to work with their children, depending on their age. We, we have high schoolers to infants. Mm -hmm. um, but that is a, a new aspect to building stabilized because we're trying to um, enhance um, and encourage families to work together as a team. Right. So um, to help the parent, but also help the, the child grow up and have the foundation they need in order to become stable adults. Yeah. You know, I read something once that said that um, the most impactful time for, you know, in, in a child's life, if the family is financially unstable, is to see an income increase or more stability when the child is really little. Mm -hmm. Right, it just has an astronomical effect on their future, yeah. and so we are, you know, we do have to make choices sometimes mm -hmm. on where um, strategically we invest time and effort in our community, um, and I think a way that we're doing that is by helping children and families at the same time. Right, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, yeah, wow. So, Carmen, we've covered a lot of ground mm -hmm. um, in terms of stability in terms of what the Neediest Cases Fund is all about and um, how it helps people over that bridge so that then we can work um, together towards towards a greater um, transformation. But it's been a hard year for a lot of people. Yes, it has. Um, as you said, folks calling for help have, have never needed it before. And so what hope would you give to somebody who's listening right now um, who has really struggled this year financially and then is coming up against some walls, what would you say to them? I think I, I would say is don't lose hope. Mm -hmm. I think there's a lot of people out in the community who want to help mm -hmm. and they want to walk alongside them mm -hmm. and provide that encouragement and support as they're, they're trying to figure things out. Mm -hmm. And so if it's some fi financial assistance today through Neediest Case yeah. or um, being able to connect them to workforce development and get, a, and, and get a better paying job or even find a job because a lot of people lost jobs due to COVID. And so being able to do that, there are a lot of people that want to help. Yeah. And I think COVID has brought out uh, that in a lot of people and a lot of agencies working together. Mm -hmm. Um, and so just for them to know that there is help, they can call 211, they can go to a social service agency, they don't have to call 211, and go in and, and ask for the assistance that you need to move forward. Mm -hmm. You know, that's a great point. One of, um, one of my favorite neediest cases, fun stories, is with a gentleman that you and I both have gotten to know a bit. And... Um, through the Neediest Cases Fund and the power of partnership with United Way staff and the IBEW, which is the Electrical Union Brotherhood, um, Mr. Brian Ellis, mm -hmm. if you remember, yes. um, had this opportunity to make a difference for a veteran who um, really needed some help getting where he lived in good shape. Right. And I think what's amazing about Mr. Ellis's story that I think it's featured in last year's Times Free Press um, mm -hmm. articles on the Neediest Cases Fund, is his strength and his resilience, rolling up his sleeves, working side by side with United Way staff and a slew of volunteers to improve his home. Then folks who so often receive help when they've never needed it before, 
are always those who turn around and give it to someone else, right? Mm -hmm. That mm -hmm. generosity just brings more generosity. So today, Mr. Ellis is volunteering with the United Way. He's been delivering meals and serving meals through COVID and doing everything he can um, with this purpose and hope that he has that was shown to him through the Neediest Cases Fund. Mm -hmm. I, I think that's really the, the takeaway for the audience who's listening is we may all need help at one point. Yes. And we all have something to give mm -hmm. um, at one point. And we want United Way to be a place where both of those come, come true. Yes. So let's say someone wants to give help, Carmen, I mean, specifically to the work that you do every day. What, what can they do spe concretely, specifically to make a difference? Well, number one, they can always donate um, to United Way. And if they're interested in the neediest case, they can always donate to uh, the neediest case fund. And if they go to our website, mm -hmm. um, they'll be able to find neediest case and be able to uh, donate online. Mm -hmm. Or they can just send a check to United Way. But then there's other ways that they can assist, and that's like volunteering. There's a lot of volunteering uh, opportunities throughout the community. But even within United Way, um, due to COVID, we've seen a, a, an increase in the number of calls to 211. So we're looking for um, volunteers who can assist, who have the time and, and can dedicate time to uh, 211, um, entering data or doing different things. But also in the community, there's a lot of things um, people can do. And, and we do have I Help Chattanooga, so they could look there and sign up for some volunteer opportunities. Mm -hmm. So, and, and also I would say get involved um, in some of the discussions. You know, we talked about the cliff effect. Yeah. We talked about other things that are going on in the community. Get involved. Get involved in your communities and encourage people. You know, um, people don't know that United Way plays a big role in advocacy. Mm -hmm. um, around issues like the cliff effect. And in the coming year, um, 2021 and beyond, I think um, that the audience who's listening today, um, keep, your, keep your eyes open, I say, yeah. because we are going to be working on policies and practices and helping employers and our lawmakers understand issues like the cliff effect right? so that we can really see the power of change by coming together. Mm -hmm. And we want to see change that's lasting and sustained and transformational for the long haul. Yes. So that when someone calls for the neediest cases fund, they only need to call once, right? Mm -hmm. um, that's ultimately what the goal that we're looking for. So back to 211, the need for volunteers. So you specifically need folks who want a direct connection with others to answer the call for help. They'd be really well trained, right? Yes, definitely yes. You well tra trained. Train them very well, um, and then they are able then to actually speak on the phone or via, I guess, text, right, um, is an option. Yes, to community members in need of help and making that connection. That sounds like a really powerful thing to do if you want to volunteer. What's required of someone if they wanted to do that? Well, definitely it would be somebody who is comfortable with computers because we enter everything into our database. Right. And so, and somebody who's um, comfortable communicating and talking to people. Mm -hmm. um, and it's a quick pace. Um, <laughs> yeah, kind of, fast. Yeah, it's fast. Um, but we get a lot of calls. And so those are probably the two um, Think, um, experiences that they should have. Yeah. But also, it's really important because 211, there's a lot of moving parts to it. Mm -hmm. So, we need uh, volunteers who are dedicated, who can dedicate some time mm -hmm. for the long term right. in order to really provide those phone calls. Mm -hmm. 
And um, and we also have opportunities if people don't have a lot of time right. um, to enter um, data into our database. Yeah, and that database is really important. You know, it sounds like a real technical thing to talk about, but the reason why it matters is we are able, as, as the United Way, to see across our community where mm. needs are trending up, right? Or where we can be proactive about something we're seeing happen in a part of our community and actually respond to it quicker. Right. That database is really important. It helps us make strategic decisions on where dollars go and where resources go. Mm-hmm. Um, right. So that's that's really, really important. And another thing is um, we're trying to update the service directory. Yeah, that's and a big one. Yes. And so how do you know where to connect people to the sixteen hundred nonprofits? <laughs> Right. Yes. If, if, yes. If the information is always changing. So we need people to enter that data. Mm-hmm. We have a resource specialist who, who talks to the different agencies, mm-hmm. tries to get it all updated, puts you know, and so we need people to enter that and update the the service directory. Yeah. And we have over five thousand resources in there because we cover sixteen counties. Yeah. So we definitely need somebody who mm-hmm. who can do this. Well. Connected community changes everything. We've right. got to be sure that those connections are are current and on point and available for, mm-hmm. for our people. Well, Carmen, this has been a really um, deep conversation. Is there anything else that you want to leave us with? I would just I would just tell people that if they're interested in helping, please reach out mm-hmm. because there's a lot of people who are in need of help and a lot of agencies who need volunteers. Mm-hmm. And so it's really important to get connected yeah. uh, to the community in order to make a difference. And we mm-hmm. all need to work together. Mm-hmm. And it's not just one individual or another. And I think you said this in a previous um, interview, and that was one plus one equals four. Right, yeah. And um, we never know what that additional resource is going mm-hmm. to add to somebody else's life. And so we need more people to get involved and in order to have a bigger impact in our community. Yeah. Well, and Carmen, you um, thank you for what you do. It's a privilege for me to get to sit here and ask you these, these critical questions. And um, I think that you are living out what it means to live united, that you have a deep purpose for this work, um, born in you from your family, and, and your experience and what was invested in you through education um, and stability. So now you're paying it forward to others. Yep. So thank you. We will all aspire to be more, create more Carmen's in, in 2021 <laughs> as we move forward. Well, thank you for having yeah. me. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. <laughs>